Good morning. I'm Wimala. I'm trying to get the Buddha's head in line back behind, so it's not just my big head. Hmm. I need a stage manager. Okay, we'll go with that. I'm Wimala. It's July 7th. A beautiful day here after lots of rain and uh, trees splitting open and branches coming down in different areas so it seems to have some of that seems to have passed so this is the calm after the storms uh, hope you're doing okay and taking your life one moment at a time and breathing <laughs> I think my kids get uh, we've had a family uh, some medical things going on in my uh, the, the family our family here in Wisconsin recently and I think my kids get tired of me saying breathe just keep breathing just breathe I think I have to uh, maybe back off and just <laughs> not not let that be my only kind of advice I can offer to them when it's a stressful situation but Sometimes it helps. I mean, it's sometimes it even it, it helps them, but uh, I can get a little bit enthusiastic about it, and that's probably not the best way to be. So, um, hope you're dealing with everything in your life and taking time to breathe and taking time to have time for yourself, practicing love toward yourself and love towards others is naturally will start being something you do automatically uh, and compassion is the same way have compassion for yourself and uh, once you do that then it's just like loving-kindness we see how others with loving-kindness we see that others want to be happy too because we know we want to be happy and compassion is the same way. When we experience self-compassion, then we understand how much other people want compassion for themselves. And they want to be uh, compassionate towards others, but may not even know that because they're so, they're so lacking it as a quality for themselves. So it's not being selfish to think about those qualities and want them in your life. The only thing that would be selfish is that if once you knew that and how good you felt when you were happy and how good you felt when you were loving yourself, caring for yourself, uh, if you wanted to just keep it all to yourself and not share it, that would be, that would be difficult in the first place, but it would be, uh, that would be the only thing that would be selfish. So today we're going to finish the five invitations that I've been reading about just briefly from this book. The book is The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski, which may be completely wrong, but that's what it, how it looks. And he was really one of the creators of the modern hospice movement. Uh, through his Zen practice and his Zen center, uh, he was he was one of the the key founders towards the uh, the Zen Hospice project, which is still very strong today in terms of 
uh, Zen uh, chaplaincy, chaplaincy programs and work that's, that are being done, a lot of work that's being done by the Zen, by Zen Buddhists. So this is, the five invitations is a powerful and inspiring exploration of the essential wisdom dying has to impart to us all. And so this book was written in 2018, and there, I think, have just been a flood of books uh, written about death and dying. I mean, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross started it out back in, you know, the 60s, maybe before then, but it's now become something that there's a lot of attention, a lot of focus to the end of life and uh, end of life quality for people, but also for the whole, um, like coming to grips <clears throat> with the reality of the world, that death is inevitable. Death is inevitable for all, all conditioned things. It, it comes together, it's here for a while, and then it's, then it's gone, it, it fall, the pieces fall apart. None of them are permanent. So this is, um, this is more about how the things that the dying have taught him, how he feels that these are life lessons that all of us can, are, uh, all of us will value from. So we've done the first, second, and third. So the first was don't wait. The second, welcome everything, push away nothing. The third, bring your whole self to the experience whatever it is. And now the fourth and the fifth, maybe we can do both today, maybe not. The fourth invitation, and then we'll sit after I've read for a while. We'll have a short sit. And these are good to let kind of be in your head. Fourth invitation, find a place of rest in the middle of things. And I really wanted to read this on uh, Tuesday. It just felt this is finding a refuge, right? Uh, this is so important for us these days. So we have to find that refuge, that peace in the middle of things. Things are not going to stop. The world is not going to stop feeling like it's a little crazy right now or ever. That's samsara. And here's the quote. Rest is the conversation between what we love to do and how we love to be, David White. And I'll read the first part and then the last part of the chapter. Adele was a tenacious, no-nonsense, 86-year-old Russian Jewish lady. I had the honor of being with her at Zen Hospice the night she died. She sat on the edge of the bed, breathing with great difficulty. Her every in and out breath was a struggle. As I sat on the couch in the corner, a kind and well-meaning nurse's aide, the attendant began stroking Adele's back. You're a little cold, would you like a blanket? She asked. Adele shot back. Of course I'm cold, I'm almost dead. I stayed in the corner. Laughing to myself at her raw honesty, two things became clear to me. One, Adele wanted straight talk and authentic relationship. She didn't want to process her dying or talk about moving into the light. 
She had no interest in sentimental ideas. Second, despite having been given all the appropriate interventions, Adele was still struggling. There is a labor to dying as there is a labor to giving birth. I pulled up a chair close to Adele and her eyes locked. I asked Adele, would you like to struggle a bit less? Yes, she nodded. I noticed that at the end of your inhale, there is a little pause. Can you put your attention there on that pause for a little while? I suggested. Now Adele didn't care beans about Buddhism and had never meditated in her life, but she was highly motivated in the moment to be free of suffering. So she agreed to try. I'll breathe with you, I said. After a while, Adele was able to place her attention on that small gap between exhale and inhale. As she did, the fear gradually drained from her face. We continued to breathe together for some time. Eventually, Adele put her head back on the pillow. A short while later, she died quite peacefully. We often think of rest as something that will come to us when everything else in our lives is complete. At the end of the day, when we take a bath, when, once we go on holiday and get through all our, or get through all our to-do list, we imagine that we can only find rest by changing our circumstances. The fourth invitation teaches us that, like Adele, we can find a place of rest within us without having to alter the conditions of our lives. After all, the conditions of Adele's life remain the same. Her breathing didn't change. She was still dying. Nevertheless, she found a place of rest. This place of rest is always available to us. We need only turn toward it. It is experienced when we bring our full attention without distraction to this moment, to this activity. With sincere practice after some time, we can come to know this spaciousness as a regular part of our lives. It manifests as an aspect of us that is never sick, is not born, and does not die. I like that as an introduction to the chapter. Find a place of rest in the middle of things, even in the middle of dying. So let's see the very end of it, the very end of the chapter. So he had a very serious heart surgery in the middle of a lot of the work he was doing, which I think had a profound, profound effect on his work from then on. He's talking about being in recovery. And I I'm going to read the last two, two pages, but I'm going to go back into something else a little bit because it's really beautiful. So he was with he was with someone who was uh, dying 
only 28, but had AIDS, and this was in San Francisco. And um, he had a uh, he had a lot of friends in his room. They were going to give him a birthday party, and the uh, Samuel, who was at the hospice and just 28. <clears throat> he wasn't having such a good time during this party in his room. He seemed to be shrinking into the bed, his already tiny frame almost disappearing. His friends meant well, but Samuel appeared to be drowning in the stimulus. Just then Ray, a volunteer massage therapist, entered the room. Ray pulled a chair up to the foot of the bed, <clears throat> grounded himself with a few deep breaths, and nodded to Samuel with a slight smile. The gesture was something between nice to see you again and a bow of respect, conveying Ray's attention and asking permission to touch to this foot rub. What mattered was the deep contact made through touch itself. <clears throat> the connection between the two men was undeniable. For half an hour, Ray listened reassuring, exploring, responding to Samuel without a word being said. The hubbub in the room went on, but now Samuel was floating instead of drowning. Ray removed his hands slowly and deliberately. He sat back and paused. Samuel blew him a kiss, closed his eyes, and sank back into the pillow at rest. The conditions remained unchanged. The party was still going on. People continued to eat truffles and drink champagne. Ray and Samuel didn't even speak. Yet Ray helped, yet Ray helped Samuel turn down the volume of his emotionally charged state and his body's resulting agitation through caring touch. We often underestimate the comfort of silence and the value of simple human presence. Similarly, while I was recovering from my heart surgery, my old friend Martha, Martha de Barros, the co-founder of Zen Hospice Project, often would come to my home to support me in the practice of meditation. She would end our sessions with a lovely ritual, one which she had been teaching for years to people in prison. She invited me to place my right hand on my heart and my left on my belly and repeat the phrases, I am here now, we are here now. Here and now is the only place of rest. One night after my heart surgery, I awoke at two o'clock in the morning from a painful, fitful sleep and a difficult dream I felt frightened and resistant to my suffering. Then I heard a voice, a, a voice from my soul. It was giving me guidance, offering me my own words. Find a place of rest in the middle of things, it said. I thought, okay, Frank, just try to rest. Then I smiled. The thing is, trying to rest is not resting. It's just more trying. Effort is necessary in life. You can't lift your bag into the trunk of a car if you don't extend effort. Yet when we apply this same sort of effort to resting, it backfires. 
We can't seek the, we can't seek the deepest rest through th striving to change the way things are. We can only relax the activity that obstructs our contact with rest. When we look closely, we see that desire is almost continuous. It's a fire that is always burning within us, and it ignites and fuels our seeking. Being a seeker, an, identify, an identity I myself have been proud to adopt at times, is an inevitable step on the spiritual path. It can easily become a hindrance Energetically, seeking feels agitated, restless. It implies that I am deficient, disconnected from something essential in my life. I think something is missing and that belief perpetuates my seeking. Agitated looking won't ever connect us to our true nature and trying to get rid of our desires to stop seeking doesn't work either. That's just more seeking, more effort, and more trying. This is a real paradox of the spiritual life. That which can save us can also drive us mad. Don't get me wrong, seeking has a place in this world. It isn't all bad. In order to begin our spiritual journeys, we must be motivated by seeking a better life, deeper connections with ourselves and others explanations for our existent, existential questions, relief from our pain and suffering. Yet too often our quest for peace and fulfillment get entangled with striving. We read books, seek out teachers, and go looking for our tribes. We accumulate practices, beliefs, and strategies as we seek solutions. We continuously search for answers outside of ourselves, when in fact we already have everything we need here within us. This, there is one form of seeking that I find useful. I call it wholesome desire. This is the desire to be free, to know what is true and be completely ourselves. Wholesome desire does not feel agitated. In fact, it removes the restlessness because we stop looking outside ourselves for approval or satisfaction. It feels more like love. We love our true nature. We love presence. And because we love it, we want to be close to it, to get intimate with it. It's a kind of love affair with truth. It's like when we, when we are with our partners, we long to see them. <laughs> this is, okay, it's like when we are with our partners, we long to see them with as few clothes on as possible. We want them as they are, naked. Just so in spiritual life, we long to see the naked truth, unobstructed by preferences or the clothing of our treasured beliefs. I am here now. We are here now. One of the qualities of a truly open mind is deep restfulness. We come to this restfulness by accepting and understanding our desires, not by rejecting them. We surrender our strategies and resistance. 
lying in my bed that morning, this is when he's in the, uh, recovering from heart surgery, the desire mach machine churning and belching out all sorts of preferences. I felt discouraged, caught up in my effort to find rest when it eluded me. Then I remembered a lesson from my many thousands of visits with dying patients. How I always pause at the threshold of the room because that pause breaks the momentum of habit. It gives us a choice. That choice, the only choice we have really, is to be open or closed, open to what is unfolding or selective in our acceptance of it. Actually, I don't even like the word acceptance. <clears throat> it has too many moral overtones. Hmm. The word allow is better suited to what I am describing. It's a softer word, a word that takes us beyond the concepts of accepting and rejecting altogether. So it, it releases a lot of the duality in accepting, accepting, rejecting. It releases us from the whole idea of comparison, preference for or against hope and fear. It is a true resting place. So I found myself resting in allowing. And in that moment, there was no disconnection, nothing missing, and therefore nothing left to seek. Lying in my bed, I dropped like a stone falling through thick liquid until I came to lie at the bottom of the dark, silent ocean. I gave myself completely to rest, body at rest, heart at rest, mind at rest, consciousness at rest. Seeking doesn't end by finding. Seeking just ends. It ends when our awareness comes to rest in the peaceful depths of our essential nature. Then, like the sweeping monk, and that's a diff another story he told, we can go about our daily activities while still functioning from a place of inner calm. Uh, I love I love the comments on that he. I love this chapter. <laughs> so, thank you, Steve. He's got a link to the book. Um, yeah, this this book is is beautiful, and he's you know so he wrote it four or five years ago. There are many more since then, but this one is really powerful. I really like what he's saying about uh, the word allowing for him is even uh, kind of freer from uh, some kind of good and bad. Uh, issue by talking about allowing instead of uh, accepting. So that's a bit, that's gonna, I'm going to be thinking about that all day today. So um, beautiful book. Thank you for putting the link up, Steve. I'll be sure to put that when I uh, move this to the Blue Lotus page as well. So we only have a few minutes. I've let our time run out. I'm, I, I'm reading the book is uh, taking some precedence over that. So let's spend the last five or six minutes just 
Uh, if you can continue and meditate longer, that's fine, and we can do five minutes together, and that's fine. But we will just, I really love, remember the hand on your heart and the hand on your stomach. We are here now. We are here together. Close your eyes if you, if you can, where you are. Leave them open if that's not a good idea. But just let your body relax, but be awake at the same time. Roll your shoulders back. That helps your spine kind of uh, sit up a little bit more at attention. It'll keep us awake. It also gives our lungs more room to breathe deeply with just our natural breath. And he mentions in his meditation that whenever he uh, meditates to, to become more grounded, to begin, take a few deep breaths in and out. And by grounded, we're bringing all of us right to the present moment. That's what we're talking about. It's always helpful if you're actually touching the ground or touching the floor part of you, that's being literally grounded, that's a good thing, but being grounded is, you know, we might be distracted by things, but when we want to become centered or grounded, we want to bring all of us to the present moment. Our body, our thoughts, our attention. And just, just allow yourself to breathe. And he recommends at the pause after your exhale, before you inhale again, just be aware of that pause, be aware of that stillness. Let there be a smile on your face.
stay with your breath. As we end this short practice, you can keep uh, stay in your posture and stay with your breath. Just being aware of your breath either around your nostrils or as your belly moves in and out. As you inhale, moves out a little bit. As you exhale, it contracts a bit. Those are two spots where you can just have an awareness of the breath at those two spots. But we can be thinking and being prayerful and thoughtful, uh, thinking of the people in Sri Lanka suffering really terribly from the kind of economic, political uh, problems in that country. And also, if you have the intention at 11 o'clock, read it, uh, or be thinking about the Ukraine and our intention that we, that, uh, we often read about loving kindness and peace for for the Ukraine, just the in, with the hopeful intention that, that that country can have an end to the violence and the war, and uh, be able to be a peaceful, democratic country with its own sovereignty. And we can also think about and hold in our hearts some during the day all of the people dealing with hunger, famine, uh, lack of healthy water to drink. Even if they have water, is it healthy for them? How difficult is it for them to access it? Thinking of people who are being very challenged with the climate change now. Hold everyone in your hearts. May they be happy. And may they be well. And may they feel safe. And may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings everywhere. May we be a refuge for ourselves, and may our harmless behavior be a refuge for others. So thank you so much for being part of my practice, and I will see you tomorrow, and we'll finish up this uh, short reading from this beautiful book. Looks like fireworks on my screen. Have a good day, wherever you are. Bye-bye.